Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hi, and welcome to episode six of 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where we hear the stories from musicians and comedians about the jobs they worked before going full-time. This week, we've got an amazing comedian, Lauren Patterson, who at the time of recording was on an eight-day break between two tours in Australia. We met at the Miller in London Bridge, which is the pub that I used to work at, and also something I found out straight after our interview, the first London venue that Lauren played a gig at. We talk about her experiences waitressing and working at a nightclub in her home city of Newcastle. And there's quite a few gems here in terms of little stories and life hacks, ways that she's placed herself in a position where she's viably created enough time and resources to do her art, all the while working, studying, or doing real life stuff. All right, thanks for listening. This is Lauren Patterson. Signature Brew is the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. But all right, so you just come back from 
just go over what we already just said. Just come back from, from Australia. Australia, yeah. And you're saying it's coming up to a year since. Walked out of my day job. Didn't just quit. Walked out very dramatically. I say dramatically. I just cried and pretended that I was sick and needed to go home. And then sent an email and I was like, I'm not coming back. Brilliant. I'm not coming back. I hated it. What Absolutely was that doing? Hated it. Well, in, hey, I worked as a waitress mm. in Newcastle. Best job I've ever had. I loved it. It paid for like, the end of my fringe. It funded my comedy. They were so flexible, so supportive. I then went and worked for the same company in London. And I don't know if it was just the fact I was in London, but I hated it. Like, absolutely hated it. And I lasted six months, and I was like, I can't. can't six months anymore. is still a fair whack of time. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no way. Can't do this anymore. I think because I'd moved to London to do comedy, and then you've got that horrible thing where you're like, you're looking at, like, you're weak. And you're like, oh, but I'm at work five days this week, and when can I do a gig? When can I write my Edinburgh show? When can I do this? And there was some days when I was coming in from a gig, at, like, if it was a gig far away at three o'clock in the morning and getting up at um, seven to be out the house at eight to be, like, on my way to work to open the restaurant. And That's I was like, headache, no, I was burning the candles at both ends. And I was like, yeah. I'm just going to jump and see what happens. Did you find that, sort of, I mean, obviously, as a waitress, you're going to be meet, you're going to be sort of getting this kind of, like, a funny perspective of people's yeah. lives. Did, oh, did any of that play into... That's what I did love about it. Like, it was a really good job to just learn to be funny because the way yeah. to get tips in a restaurant is to get on with your customers so my way of doing it was to make them laugh make, I wouldn't like test material on them but I'd always try and be a bit witty with them yeah. and I was like because that's how, that's how you make your money in the restaurant by being nice to people and I think it stands out especially if people are like oh wow she really made us laugh she was funny so I used to come home with like like a bag full of tips and I'd be like yep this is that was the only good thing Brilliant. I did did get a lot of tips. <laughs> so we, we um, you did an MA, didn't you? I did, yeah. Were you working through that? Yeah, I worked since I was since I was about seventeen. So I worked when I did my MA. That's when I was a waitress in Newcastle. That was a good job. But I did remember I did Catherine Ryan's tour support in Newcastle, and was at work the following day in the restaurant, and I was serving people in the restaurant who were like. Your sister's so funny. And I was like, my sister? And they were like, we went to see Catherine Ryan last night. There was a girl who was the spit and double of you doing the support. She must be your sister. And I was like, it's me. And they were like, no, no, she's a professional comedian. And I was like, I'm a professional comedian. They were like, but you're here. And I was like, please stop reminding me. Like, yeah, you can be a professional comedian and also have a day job. And they were like, oh, can we get a picture with you? And I'd be like, I'm in my uniform. Like, no. But, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> nice. So you, were, so you were touring during during your MA? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Doing, I was on tour with Catherine. Mm. I was, like, gearing up to do my work in progress at Edinburgh. Uh, I was gigging all over. There were some nights I would do the stand in Newcastle, and this restaurant, without naming it, um, was round the corner from the stand. And there'd be loads of times I'd be on on a weekend, and I'd be serving a table, and they'd be like, we're coming to watch you tonight. And I'd be like, oh, are you coming to the stand? And they'd be like yeah, it's half, half seven, you're on in an hour. And I'd be like, yeah, finish at eight. I'd literally finish work at eight and go, because the comedy club was literally a two-minute walk, so I would just go straight That's amazing. and do the gig after. And people That's would be amazing. like, we're, we're coming to watch you. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll see you in an hour. <laughs> when I'm not in my uniform. Taking it back to like when you were 17, I'm, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was, it was kind of, were your mates doing the same thing where it was like, okay, uh-huh. you, you, know, you and your mates were starting to get part-time jobs all We were all time. starting to sort of like look for jobs, but I was quite crafty. So I did a, my first job 
wasn't paid, but I used to work for one of the O2 vendors, with the O2 in Newcastle, and I would go and pick up flyers and leaflets and posters, like venue listings. They would give you a list of shops to go to. I'd go and hand them out, and in exchange, you would get to go to gigs for free. So I was... Because that's what you want to spend your money on when you're a teenager. Yeah. I, I wanted to go to gigs, and I was like, how do I get to go to gigs without having to have a job to pay for them and I was like hmm so that's what I used to do so I'd go I think I used to go maybe twice a week spend about an hour around town doing it just literally dropping these flyers off and then you'd go and request which gigs you wanted to oh, go nice. to and you'd have to at the start of the gig hand out things at the, for the first like half hour or something but mm. then so I got to go see like the Kooks for free and Pendulum nice. and I did have to go to like some rubbish ones as well because like to get the, the better gigs you would get depended on how many other shifts you'd done. So if it'd sure. be like, we've got no one wants to work this shift tonight, I'd be like, oh, I'll come do it. So I'd come hand out flyers for some, like, tribute band. That's not bad. But you in better stead for getting, like, yeah. the good gigs later. Yeah, absolutely. It's not bad for two hours. <coughs> I love Especially it, if you're yeah. mates again anyway. Exactly. That's the thing. Sometimes my mates would get tickets and I'd be like, I'll meet you in the crowd. And then off the back of that job, I actually got a job in the venue for their indie night. This was, like, just when I turned 18. The guy had seen us round handing out flyers and seeing how I was with people, and he was like, "Do you maybe fancy joining our team?" So that was like a prop. That was my first like paid job, and that was like, that's such a cushy first couple of jobs. So it was like minimum wage, but I would hand out, um, go around town and hand out flyers for the nightclub on an evening. Be like, you know, do you know where you're going tonight, guys? And then I'd go to the club and get drunk for free. Great. It was brilliant, but nice. we got really wise to it because we were like eighth, first year of university. So I'd, be, I'd make like what thirty quid a shift, but I had a, like a proper day job on top of that, so it was just pocket money basically. Whilst at uni, yeah, what was yeah. The, what was the proper day job? I worked in Boots. Yeah, I was a, a little till bitch of Boots, um, which was all right. So I used to do that like through the day, and as well that was good because you never worked past eight o'clock, so it meant it was good for me comedy. And then I would, so sometimes I'd finish at Boots at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night and I would start work at the nightclub at 10, but I was living in town because of the university there. So I'd go home, take off my Boots uniform, put my nightclub uniform on, and I'd either be in the streets handing out flyers or I'd be in the club at the door, like, handing out shots or handing out things. But it was such easy work. You'd work, like, 10 o'clock at night till maybe 2 or 3 in the morning. If you were in the club, you had to work till 3. If you were in the street, you worked till 1. But it got paid a nice little bit of and money. It's your job to sort of get people hyped. It's exactly, like when you go to like Malia yeah. or Ibiza, those people. Exactly. On the, on the so like you know those nights where they're like, well, the first hundred customers get a free jelly shot, and everyone's like, yeah, it's literally like a jug. <laughs> it's jelly, and there'd be one shot of vodka yeah, yeah. in the whole jug, and people would go mad for them. And I'd be like, there's, you've got probably like a thirtieth of a shot of vodka in there. So I'd be like handing those out. But we got really wise to it because there was a time when I would always get outdoor shifts so they used to split it quite fairly and then there became a time when I felt like they just got lazy and they gave the same two girls the indoor shifts and everybody else was outside so we worked out bringing vodka in your bag is a very good way of keeping warm on shift and also makes you much more chatty in the street <laughs> where's well, your job uh, so right? we, exactly we it's would just get we would have friendly. a couple of drinks it made you more like sort of it made you feel less scared about like talking to people, going up and talking to people. We would just get hammered at work, and then we'd turn up at the club and keep drinking. And I was like, this is the best job, because no one at university wants to go out on a Saturday because they would call it like locals' night. So I would never have anyone to drink with like out on a Saturday night. But most people who worked for this club were either students or locals, so we would just all get drunk on a Saturday. It was a brilliant nice. job. We used to have the best staff nice. parties. Yeah. Really good fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. I wish all jobs could involve drinking vodka on shift. Well, I, when I was working downstairs here, I was, I was pretty bad for the, <laughs> yeah. for the song because Jen, Jenny, my manager, is probably downstairs. But it's just like, you know, it's great. It's Green King that's on the stage. Yeah, so I've yeah. got not, not an ounce of guilt about it. <laughs> but, it's, but it's great. But the one problem I found with it is that uh-huh. you, I'd finish a shift at two. Yeah. And I'd want to go out. Yeah, yeah. Did you find that? Well, we had this thing. So my last job before I worked in the restaurant, <clears throat> so this was after I finished working at Boots, because I eventually got sacked from the nightclub for getting too drunk at work um so this is boots's fault this is how i lost my job so i was working at boots i was the youngest person in it was you know one of the really little ones like the teeny tiny little bootses um so i worked in there i was the youngest by years and we had our christmas party um so i went we went straight after work we all got changed at work went for a few drinks and the women at work because they were like much older than me, trapped me like their sort of daughter. They got me hammered, wouldn't let us pay for a drink, got us shit-faced. And then I was like, oh, my God, I started the nightclub at 10. So I went staggering down the street to the nightclub. It took them about half an hour to manage to get his sort of outside into the street. The lad, because they always part my deal with someone, the lad who I was working with that night, we got as far as the end of the street. He frog-marched us back to the club and was like, she can't work, I can't work with her, she's too drunk. So they took me down, where we would sort of, like, hang out on our break and stuff would be, like, the, the dressing rooms in the main venue. So they took me to the dressing room. I was so drunk, I went to be sick, locked the toilet door, fell asleep woke up obviously no concept of what time it was and when you wake up when you've been drinking and you're at that stage where you're still a bit pissed but like not hammered I was a bit confused went to turn my phone and my phone was dead unlocked the toilet door there's nobody there so I was like oh god I don't know what time it is or anything I went across the nightclub and the nightclub's empty so I was like all right I've only been asleep maybe 10 minutes because the club doesn't open till 11 I was like right I can apologize and I can either go back to work or they'll send us home it was half past three in the morning I'd slept through the whole shift the nightclub was shut and I was like oh my god and when I went my manager and everything was sort of like downstairs and they were like we were just trying to work out how to get you out of the toilet and I was like oh my god I'm so drunk um and then I sent them a message a couple of days later and I was like do I still have a job and they were like if you come and work on New Year's Eve for not double pay for like standard six pound an hour you can keep your job and I was like I'm not coming into work for two hours on New Year's Eve for 12 pound I was like no you can keep your job so that is how the women at Boots yeah. <laughs> got me sacked from my nightclub job. <laughs> it was spectacular. <laughs> I went out in a proper blaze of glory because apparently when I'd been hammered, like before my shift started, I'm not an aggressive person, I'm not a confrontational person, but I'd been like gobbing off at people because they were like, a couple of the lads were like, Lauren, you're too drunk to work. And I was like, I'll tell you what I think about you. And I was like, so apparently I went out in a little bit of a blaze of glory, but because I'd worked with them all for a while, they knew I was just hammered, so it was a good job that no one like took it to heart, because otherwise that could have gone a lot differently. That's, that must have been made for a funny New Year's Day. Oh yeah. <laughs> we go and be like, Fuck. Oh no. Yeah. So what was your? Do you remember that New Year's Day? I mean, is, do you remember? No. Do, do you have? Do you have in your mind? That, like, you'd have to find something else. Did it bother you that much? Because I, I still had the other job. That was basically just, like, sure, pox. I remember job. I kind of didn't really care. And mm. it just gone through this phase where I had a really good manager and he left. And we had this new manager came who I wasn't so keen on. Mm. She was the one who kept making this work outside. And I was like, well, this isn't fair that I'm outside yeah. every single week in the winter, 10 or 1. Like, mm. the whole point is that the working inside is, like you would get that every now and then, so yeah. to have, like, a fun shift inside. So I think that's probably why I partly went out in a bit of blaze of glory, where I was like, well, I'll tell you it's all what I think of you, because I think I know how this is going to go. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and then I ended up working in a bar, 
And I used to be the same. I'd finish at two in the morning, and I'd be like, oh, I want to go out. But around the corner from this bar is, like, a snooker venue that's open. It shuts at a certain time to the public, but if you're industry, so if you're, like, working the bars in Newcastle, they give you a card, and it's open at six in the morning. That's so all the people who work in the bars in Newcastle will go to this place after work. They serve food all night, so you can get, nice. like, nachos or burgers. There's pool tables. You can play a pool. The drinks are really cheap. And everyone would go there, so there'd be loads of times we'd finish work and we'd be like, oh, we'll go for a couple of drinks. Yeah. Your brain's still working, place. isn't it? Exactly, and you're seen still so fired fun. up, yeah. Totally, and you're just like, I want to have fun. Exactly, it was even nice just to go there, even just for one, and be like, mm. I just want one drink mm. to chill out, I've just finished work, and then I'll go home. Yeah, we spent, and as well, it would work out as well, if we were on a night out with work, you know, and all the clubs shut at, like, three, would be like, well, we've got our industry cards, we'll just go there. So we would go there nice. till like six in the morning. Yeah. It was brilliant. I suppose, I mean, it's quite obviously, I suppose, that they, um, that the sort of these service industry jobs yeah. make for being a comedian, <laughs> or, you know. Oh, definitely. That's like, especially the waitressing was possibly the most accommodating one I've had. So when I worked in a bar, it was all right, but you're predominantly needed in the evenings. So it was all right when I was at uni. But I found once I was trying to do comedy properly, I was like, a bar job isn't going to work. But waitressing, I say this to everybody who's like, oh, I need a job that fits around comedy. I'm like, waitressing? Waitressing is perfect. Because, like, I wasn't gigging every night of the week. Um, so there'd be some nights where I could... Because if you go in and they're like, I can only work daytimes, of course they're going to be like, no. But I was like, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to prioritise comedy, but I can give you at least a month in advance, what my diary looks like. I'll be able to tell you exactly what days and nights. I can guarantee that I'm going to be able to work at least a couple of nights. And they were so, so accommodating with it. So I would literally send them my, like, gigs list. And I'd be like, I can work this day. I can work day and night this mm. on this mm. day. Yeah. And it meant they gave me the shifts that I could definitely do. What was, was your, so flexible. What was the thought process going into an MA? Because obviously that's, like, yeah. quite a, like... I mean, for me, personally, I think that's like quite an intense educational step. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to do one. Finished my degree, and I was like, I don't know what I do. Like, I know I want to be a comedian, but I'm not ready to move to London. So what do I do for this year in between? So I was like, right, um, I'll get a job. Uh, I wanted to work in waitressing anyway because the tips are so good. So I was like, yeah, I'll get a waitressing job for a year, build up a nice bit of money, and then I'll move to London. That seems like a plan. And then my university, because I was the... Uh, that got hit with a higher fees for the first year. So I think they started to panic that a lot of people weren't staying on for MAs or weren't expressing an interest in an MA because you've already spaffed 30 grand on your undergrad course. They turned around and they said, if you stay at Northumbria for your master's, uh, if you tick a certain amount of criteria, then you will get your course fees paid and a five grand bursary for the year. And I was like... Tell me more, but I, at this point they didn't do a, like a drama MA, and that's what my undergrad was in. And I was like, maybe I could have a look see if there's anything else I could do. And then they said they were going to start an MA in drama that year, so I was that's like, sick. why not? I had no real interest in furthering my studies because I was like, what I'm going to gain from comedy, I'm not going to gain from an MA. I'm going to gain from getting out there. But I was like, if I take that five grand, put it in a savings account. That's my first six months in London paid for. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I did the MA purely for the money, which everyone's like, you put yourself through an MA just for the money. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I did. I was only in uni two days a week for a couple of hours. That's fine. So I didn't even rule out working in the restaurant those days because sometimes it would be like 10 till 2. So I would do an evening in the restaurant. I was working anywhere between 10 and 30 hours in the restaurant, in uni a couple of days a week, and gigging as well. And it was... 
the best. I suppose in your mind as well, it's 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 a bit uh, it's maybe a little bit gratifying that you're like, oh, you know, I am actually doing something in in the eyes of the parents' eyes. Still felt like I was doing something a little bit creative Mm -hmm. and meant that I hadn't just completely like left uni and gone straight into work and like a full time job. I kind of still had the the uni lifestyle sort of thing, which was nice, but it was the best thing for us because I had my bursary saved. And then my wages at work paid for my comedy and for my rent and stuff. And it also meant the amount of tips I was making, I could continue to sort of save up a little nest. So when I came to London, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I've got 20 quid in my pocket. I was like, I can live here for six months. Should I knew I was going to get a job straight away, but I was like, if I lose my job, it's not like I'm fucked. I've got a little nest to fall back on. So when I walked out of a job, that's where that money came in handy. It was almost like I knew all along that at some point I would have a crisis and walk out of my day job. And it's like I'd sort of done the forward thinking for that and was like, well, yeah. there's your money to fall back Had on. Had that sort of ever, ever, ever sort of like reared, reared its ugly head in the past? <laughs> Did you ever have any like sort of meltdowns at work? There was a few times when I was like, oh, I could just rely on that money. But I was like, but realistically, your rent's like 600 quid. So like, and then you've got your travel on top yeah, of that. Yeah. I knew like yeah. my living costs were like 800 quid a month. And yeah. I was like... Really, that's like less than six months, kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. if you use it all now, so I was like, it's got to be a complete emergency. And I remember feeling totally like at the end of my tether. And I rang my mum, and she was like, "Do it, just do it." And for your own mother to be like, "Yeah, walk out of your day job," I was like, "She must know that I'm not happy and that I can't." I think that was the thing I couldn't cope. Whereas all building up to it, I was like, "I'm not happy, but I can cope. This is fine." And when yeah. I got to the point where I was like, "I can't cope," I was like stepping away from it. Were there any times that there were some meltdowns for in customers? I used to go to the toilets. So our toilets were um, like up the stairs and then through a little door and there'd be two doors on that side with the ladies and two doors on that side with the men. Um, And I would go up and just lock myself in the toilet. I would just sit in the toilet until I sort of like got it all out of my system and then I would go back down and I would be... And when it got to the point where that was happening... Used to be maybe that would happen like once a fortnight, and then it started to happen once a week, and then it would be once a shift. And when it got to the point where I was having to remove myself from work multiple times a shift to just cry, I was like, "It's not worth it. This yeah. job is not worth me feeling like this. Absolutely. No way. I don't think any job not is. Not at all. Exactly. Nice. But oh god, yeah. Um, were there any like uh, what was what was the rudest thing? You know, have there, have oh, any... oh my, it, this will stick with me forever. So I always judge a person as well because I've worked in bar jobs and waitering jobs. I was having this chat with one of my friends the other day. I really judge people on how they treat their servers and how they treat their waiting staff and their bar staff. Um, so I was with someone not long ago, and he was very rude to the waiter because the waiter hadn't brought like I'd forgotten part of the meal or something, but the way he treated him, I was like, oh my God, mistakes happen. Like, don't be such an arse about it. But I had a customer in Newcastle who came in through the wrong door. So we had an entrance and then we had a fire exit, which clearly said on the door, this is not an entrance, this is a fire exit. But he'd forced the door open and come in that way. He'd sat down. The restaurant was relatively busy anyway, but there was plenty of empty tables because we were a big-ass restaurant, but he'd sat at a dirty table like, no cutlery on it, still old plates, and it was in my section of the restaurant. So I, like, looked around, and I was like, where's this table of four come from? And I instantly got angry at the girls on the door because the ones who, like, seat people, I was like, why have they sat a table of four at a dirty table? At least come and get me, and I'll clean it before they sit down because I'm, like, proper good with me service in a restaurant. I hate me customers being at a dirty table. So I went over, and I'm quickly trying to grab all the plates, and I was like, hey, I'm so sorry that someone sat you here. You shouldn't have been sat at a dirty table. Then I realised they didn't have menus, and that's when I was like... 
oh, they've not been sat there, they've walked in and sat themselves down. So when I came back with menus, I was like, yeah, someone really should have given you a menu. I'm really surprised whoever sat you down didn't give you a menu to kind of subtly hint and before you kick off. I know that you've sat yourselves down. This like because sometimes people would be like, "Um, this table's dirty," and I'm like, "Yeah, because you've sat at a dirty table. Like that's different to you being sat at a dirty table." And I, the restaurant I worked in was a like one of these fancy burger restaurants, and so I gave him the menus. And before he'd even looked, he went to do kebabs, and I was like, "No, we are." <laughs> I might as well say the name of the restaurant because I'm not saying a bad thing about it. Byron Burgers, and I did did actually love working for them. <laughs> I was like, uh, "It's it's Byron Burgers. It's kind of." Clues in the title, we do burgers, and he went hot dogs. And I was like, no, we do, we do burgers. And I bear in mind, I'm working the busiest section of the restaurant. It's really, I think it was like a Friday or Saturday. So I've got like six tables, and four of those tables are tables of six. So the busiest section of the restaurant. And I was like, I don't have time to answer your stupid questions. And he was like, what's your um, cheapest burger? I know when you feel like saying the prices are literally on the menu, so I'm trying to be dead professional. And I was like, it's this burger and it's this price. And he was like, hmm, but one burger isn't going to fill me. And I was like, well, we do a double burger, which is two burgers. And he went, and how much is that? And I was like, oh, my God. And then you think someone, this could, and as well, I thought this could be a secret customer, a secret shopper. The amount of questions I was being asked, I was like, maybe he is just trying to test his. So be on the best behaviour. So I was like, we do the double burger. How much is that? I was like, it's 12.50. And he went, what? It's 12.50. He went, that's disgusting. I went, I wish I set the prices, but I don't. I just serve the food. I'm really sorry. If, if you don't agree with the prices, I can give you the email for the restaurant to get in touch with them. They always welcome your feedback. And he went, this is more expensive than London. And I was like, well, actually, um, there's 37 of these restaurants in London, and the prices are the same throughout the company. I went, so if you went into this restaurant in London, it would be the same price. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. And I was like, I'm fucking would, mate. <laughs> yeah, it would. And then in the end, I left them to it. And I came back and they were so awkward when they were ordering, really difficult table. I went and put their order through and then I went and warned the people who served the food. I was like, if you take the food to that table, they are going to complain, I bet you. They're quite a difficult table, just let me know whatever they say. So sure enough, when the lads took the food over, he came and got me and he was like, wow, they're rude. I was like, yep, they really are. So in a way, I was kind of pleased it wasn't just me they were rude mm-hmm. to. And he was like, he says he wants to have a word with you. So I went over and he was like, I have waited 40 minutes for my food. This is disgusting, this is disgusting. And I went, tell you what, sir, um, I don't quite think it's been 40 minutes, but the um, till times it from the minute I put the order through. There's a timer going. So I know how long... So you... Cause service is meant to be 20 minutes and so you can keep an eye on how long the food's taken so I went and checked and I was like um it's actually been 23 minutes since I put your order through sir so I went I do apologize we've actually been three minutes slower than we usually would but but as you can see it's quite busy today but it has only taken 23 minutes and we would usually say service is 20 no it hasn't I have waited 40 minutes and I was like there's a timer on the till do you want to come and have a look and he was being so so rude with this and he'd ordered his wife's burger without the bun and he went and her burger hasn't even come with a bun and I was like you ordered it with the side salad and not the bun I went I can go and get you a bun if you'd like yes please I went and got the bun came it back and he was like I don't want it anymore and then he shooed us like physically shooed us and I turned and you can feel the tears in your eyes because as well the amount of time I was having to dedicate to that one table it's like spinning plates when you work in a restaurant, isn't it? All my other tables have gone to shit. And I always prided myself on being so in control. If you were like, what's table one doing? I'd be like, this, this, this. I knew where all my tables were. So everything had gone to shit around us. And I could, I'm like, 
desperately trying to like keep control and I turned away and I went up to my manager I went, I'm not serving him, I'm not serving that table I don't deserve to be, oh because he said to it when he shooed us away, he went, you should be disgusted your service is disgusting, you are terrible at your job, you are so awful and other tables are kind of, so all these other tables who I've cracked joke with and got on dead well with but every table I went to after that were like we heard how that man spoke to you. He was so rude, and I got a higher tip off every table because nice. of the way he'd spoken to us. Yeah. But I went to my manager, and I was like, I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. I'm yeah. on £6.20 an hour, whatever it was, six seventy. Um, I was like, I'm not being spoken to. I went, all that needs doing, he's t- plates need taken away when he's done, he needs the bill. I went, I'm not doing it. And my manager came over us at the end and went, I've worked in service jobs since I was 18, he went, I've never encountered a customer so rude. He went, I feel shaken. He went, I'm going to have to go sit in the office for five minutes. And I was like, at least it wasn't just me. And he was just such an awful man, like mm. horrible. And it sticks with us to this day just because the one that got us the most is when he was sort of slagging off my service and I'm obviously stood there having to take it. His mate opposite him was smirking. And I was like, you're enjoying this. Yeah, you that. are enjoying yeah. watching a young waitress be made to feel uncomfortable and intimidated. And I think that's what got us the most, that they were clearly getting some sense of satisfaction out of it. And that's why I walked away and was like, I'm not going back to them. I don't, I don't have to serve them. No way. Well, you said, what you said earlier, you can, you can totally judge a person by the way they yeah. treat someone, even if it's exactly. the little guy, do you know what I mean? Or just someone in, yeah. in front of you on the tube or whatever. Definitely. I've been working all day,